From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. So how do you solve a problem like crypto? Or more specifically, how do you tax and regulate crypto? It's a problem that's been vexing the financial community for years now, but a bipartisan group of lawmakers on Capitol Hill say they've developed a solution. Kirsten Gillibrand, a Democrat from New York, and Cynthia Lummis, a Wyoming Republican, unveiled a comprehensive crypto regulatory bill earlier this month that would codify who's in charge of overseeing this multi-billion dollar industry. Today, we've got two very, very opposing viewpoints on this bill. In a bit, we'll hear from a law professor who thinks it's a giveaway to the crypto industry that will inflame rather than rein in its worst excesses. But first, we'll hear from someone who not only supports the bill, but also had a hand in writing it. Seth Wilkes is the head of government relations with Taxbit, a company that provides tax and accounting solutions for cryptocurrency. And Senator Gillibrand's office consulted with him as she was drafting this new legislation. Wilkes talked to Bloomberg tax reporter Aaron Slowey about what the bill would do and how it would bring the crypto industry out from the shadows. There are skeptics that say the bill would likely result in crypto being largely unregulated. Does this bill create guardrails for the industry and how does it ensure consumers are protected? So I think that when we think when we think about crypto, we have to kind of break it into two components. I think that you look at like the centralized exchanges who, you know, these are the Coinbase's, Krakens of the world. They look a lot like the traditional um, broker dealers, like the securities world. So they they fit very comfortably within this broker definition. Um, then you have to look at the other side, which is the on-chain activity. So these are where people are doing actual peer-to-peer transactions, um, decentralized finance, DeFi protocols. I think that when we limit the scope of what a broker is, and if we truly limit out uh, the DeFi protocols, like there is definitely uh, an opportunity to have a very deregulated space within the crypto uh, community. And I don't know that that is really a wholly positive thing, mostly because like you touched on, Aaron, is you you look at the, you know, how do you protect consumers? You know, there's a lot of, you know, DeFi protocols where people are entering into these complex transactions like, you know, liquidity pools and yield farming that they may not really fully understand, say, the risks that are involved with going into those things. And so, um, you know, to me, the more that we are, you know, coming onto par with the other major asset classes from a regulation perspective, I think that becomes a very positive thing because it it, it makes it very clear how to comply. And it also puts up the guardrails to help protect us. And so, again, I think there's really good things in this bill. I think that there's some things that, you know, maybe we should rethink and talk about. The bill would also clarify that cryptocurrency rewards created through the processes known as staking and mining would be taxed when the rewards were sold rather than when they were created. How does this tax treatment compare to other assets and why should crypto specifically get this tax treatment? So I think that this is so there was a there was a case uh, was the Jarrett case. I'm sure you probably heard it in the news. Um, There was uh, a few months ago, the IRS basically came out and said that, hey, we're just going to throw on the towel on this case and settle it. Um, a lot of people interpreted that as the IRS was, you know, saying we're giving the thumbs up to this treatment uh, for this particular case, but that's not really what was happening. But in this case, they were making the argument that um, staking is the equivalent of self-created property. So this would be like you create a piece of art. 
Uh, you plant a crop and then it grows. Uh, in those two scenarios, you aren't taxed when you actually create it. You are taxed when you later sell it. And so the argument is trying to make that, look, mining and staking is very similar to self-created property. You're creating new units that didn't exist before, and therefore it's like inventory for you. And then when you later sell them, then you would recognize ordinary income uh, when you dispose of it. So it, it's going to some old arguments of you know, self-created property. And you know what, what this bill does, which is I think what the IRS was trying to you know, get to, they didn't want to you know, uh, I guess, legislate this issue in court. And so they would much rather have, you know, come through it with, you know, a, a thoughtful approach. And so I think that this was, the bill is, is uh, addressing this in a much more, uh, much clearer way. And in the infrastructure bill last year, there was concern that the definition of a digital asset broker was too broad. How does this define a broker and is it enough and what people were asking for? Yeah, so I think this definition gets to, uh, it, it tries to narrow the scope to those who are in the business of selling, uh, brokering, you know, sales of digital assets. And so I think by trying to narrow that definition, they are trying to exclude uh, miners and stakers. And there's a practical reason, I think, for, for narrowing the scope. So number one, um, you know, when when you're in the information reporting world, like there's a lot of information that you have to collect. So if, if I'm a centralized exchange, for example, and I'm effectuating transfers on behalf of people, um, I need to collect uh, personally identifiable information. I need to be able to store all of the transaction data and history. And then at the end of the year, I've got to be able to put that on a 1099 and report it. Right. Well, it all starts, though, with collecting that personal identifiable information. Um, miners and stakers, when you're entering into you know, mining pools or you're you know, doing a staking validation, you don't have any of that information. You don't have the, you know, the, the social security numbers of all the people who are participating in, you know, who are, who are donating their hash rate to help validate blocks. And so it's, you know, it, it's really just, a, you know, is it even possible? And so to me, this is just, this is a very easy one. It makes perfect sense. And, and the fact is, even with the infrastructure bill from last year, um, they made it very clear in the legislative history that they, there was no intention of including miners and stakers in, in this particular definition, but it's always better to get it in black and white. Yeah. And the, another topic that um, the bill talks about is the de minimis exemption for gains or losses on transactions of up to $200. So who benefits from an exemption like this? So, you know, from a practical perspective uh, and, you know, legislation is kind of the biggest social experiment. They're always trying to use uh, legislation to try to encourage us to do different things. Right. And I think that this, you know, a de minimis rule is basically encouraging us to be able to use crypto in our daily lives and, our, you know, for our everyday transactions. So um, I think before we talk about how it affects people, it's important to think about what's currently happening. So if I have a crypto backed debit card and I'm just, you know, I'm buying gas, I'm going to the grocery store, like imagine your credit card statement. Well, now you've got to realize that every single one of those transactions is a capital gain transaction. You've got to report that. And so now imagine you've got hundreds of transactions a month or thousands of transactions a year that you've now got to track. And these are like tiny, you know, I bought $5 of coffee at Starbucks. Like you would have to track all of that and then, you know, uh, report it to the IRS. 
What the de minimis section is telling us is that if you have a gain that is less than $200, then you don't have to include that income in, um, in your uh, taxable income, uh, which makes it so, you know, again, for these little micro transactions, I'm not having to worry about it. Now, a, a lot of people yeah, have, have thought, oh, hey, I could just stack a ton of transactions that are all under $200 for uh, one purchase, but make um, there is also a provision that says, hey, you, you can't actually do that. We'll act, you know, if it's considered one transaction, even though you've broken it up into a bunch of little pieces, that's also going to be considered uh, you know, part of the, the $200 de minimis. So if in aggregate it exceeds $200, then it becomes taxable. But again, it's just encouraging us to use crypto in our daily lives at point of sale. So what is the difference when like making a, tra- a small transaction like this between using crypto instead of using cash for small transactions? So, I mean, first, I think, you know, when I'm using cash, I'm not usually subject to any kind of gains or losses. And so that's the first thing is um, we don't have to worry about that. But, you know, we've seen at TaxBit, there are, you know, we have customers who literally have thousands of transactions, you know, just from, you know, buying things, goods and services. And I do want to call out that that is very specific about where this applies. This applies when you're purchasing goods or services. It does not apply when I'm, you know, going from Bitcoin to a Ethereum or I'm trading or I'm getting cash back for something like this is very specific to personal transactions of purchases of goods and services. So um, so to your point, though, you know, cash, not a capital gain transaction generally. um, But if you're selling property, which is what the IRS has historically uh, categorized crypto as, that's a capital asset, which is subject to gains and losses. So this 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 section does make it uh, much easier to be able to do. But I'll also throw out one challenge with that, which is you still have to track your cost basis to know whether you're under the $200 gain and you have to have those records to substantiate it. And so I think that this is something that exchanges are going to be able to help with. I think that, uh, you know, again, if you have to track that on your own, that becomes very complicated. And so uh, I think hopefully, you know, the information reporting that's going to happen in the other section of this bill will help make that more of a possibility for individuals. Got it. And can you speak to a little bit about what the outlook like on the Hill for the passage of the bill is like? And because it's bipartisan, like, does the makeup of Congress after November really matter? So when I look at this bill, and, and, and to be honest, like this has been a really great area. So I, you know, I kind of, you know, got into government relations through crypto. You know, it was kind of a first, you know, first time for me being a CPA and, you know, working in very, uh, traditional roles prior to crypto, but because it's so new, doors have always been opened and it's been much less of a partisan issue. And a lot of these things are really not controversial. Um, I think that both parties are looking at this and thinking in terms of like, you know, what are the, how does this impact our economy? Are we creating jobs? Let's make sure that we are, you know, uh, not getting in the way of innovation, but but let's also put the guardrails up and let's put some maturity around it. And so um, I'm not sure that, you know, if the makeup of Congress changes, that it really will impact this in a great, uh, great way. Uh, what I will say, though, is that given the speed of legislation, this is likely not to be considered for a vote until probably next year. 
And the other thing to consider too, is that I think that this is probably a draft, you know, this is going to go through a lot of iterations before um, there's ever going to be a vote. And so, you know, for example, I'm, uh, you know, we're, we're meeting with some of the teams uh, on Friday this week, and then later next week to talk through, you know, what we're hearing from our industry clients and, you know, kind of sharing that perspective with them. And so we expect that this is going to get changed, marked up quite a bit, but most likely won't come up for consideration until next year. That was Seth Wilkes, the head of government relations with the company Taxbit. And now for a different viewpoint. Omri Marion is a law professor at the University of California, Irvine, who specializes in tax issues, and he is not a fan of the Gillibrand Lummis bill. Marion talked to Aaron Slowey, and he didn't mince words when describing his initial reaction to the legislative text. It was a bad bill. That was my initial reaction. It seemed like a complete and total surrender at least as far as tax goes to demands from the industry uh, demands that were not grounded in um, reasonable tax policy consideration so it it was basically uh, about granting tax preferences where none are called for and do you think if anything in this bill there was anything that was a step in the right direction for the crypto industry I'm sure that the cryptocurrency industry loved the bill because they basically got everything or almost everything that they were clamoring for over the past couple of years. Um, they have a very well-organized lobbying effort uh, in Washington, and we don't see really any counter. Uh, we don't see any voices to counter uh, what the industry is demanding, which I think partly is the reason why they got almost everything that they wanted in this tax bill. And what kind of impact do you think, if this bill passes, that it would have on the crypto industry? And do you feel like it would encourage more people to use crypto as a currency? Um, I honestly do not know. And the main reason I do not know is because even though the cryptocurrency um, sell their uh, efforts as an attempt to incentivize innovation, let's call it in the crypto industry, the crypto industry is doing very, very well without any incentives. Um, so I am not sure why additional incentives are needed. The market cap of crypto uh, grows, I mean, not now because it crashed recently. The only beneficiaries of this language are people that use crypto or the crypto industry, and they get benefits that no other class of assets gets. So it literally makes crypto better, uh, at least in times of, of upturn in the market, uh, a time of bull market, it makes it a better currency than the US dollar to be used in everyday transactions. It makes no policy sense to do that. And in terms of I, the bill clarified when cryptocurrency rewards through staking and mining would be taxed, and it also outlined a de minimis exemption. What are some concerns that you have with the, both of those points in the bill? The de minimis exemption does not make any sense from a policy point of view. Let's start with that. Um, the de minimis exemption is an attempt to, I think, uh, not I think, I know, imitate uh, a similar de minimis exemption that is given to uh, foreign currencies. Where it makes sense, right? Because if you're going to France, you don't need to worry about taxation when you buy, I don't know, a $5 sandwich or a €5 Euro sandwich uh, in Paris um, and not worry about uh, gains when you're coming back and converting whatever euros you have left back to dollars. 
this is not the case with cryptocurrencies. What, what the bill does is basically making cryptocurrency an asset class which you can use as a currency with, on a da in daily transactions without actually paying tax on any gain. It makes no sense because it is nothing like uh, a foreign currency in a country where you go and, and you visit. So think, for example, let's say that I buy stock of IBM or whatever. Why can't I pay with stock of IBM and never have to pay tax on the gain? This gives one asset class preference over any other asset class. In addition, it's going to create ridiculous administrative burden on the IRS because uh, if it's $200, why don't I just create, uh, do a bunch of uh, transactions that are $199.99? Now, the bill, of course, says, no, you have to aggregate transactions um, or serious transactions that are part of the same transaction in order to not let people avoid this $200 limit. This is uh, meaningless words on paper. There is no way the IRS can enforce this thing at such small transactions and it will basically turn uh, cryptocurrencies into a, a tax avoidance uh, mechanism so if i invest in cryptocurrency and my cryptocurrency went up in value i will just assuming to the extent that i can find vendors that will take it i will just use it for my daily transactions will never ever pay tax on uh, on gains that i've made um, and if I have cryptocurrencies that I'm losing money on, right, that they're in a depreciated position, I will just use US dollars. So basically pick and choose which currency you want based on which uh, is better for tax consequences. I will say that one of the arguments of the cryptocurrency industry in favor of doing it is that um, it will help to alleviate administrative burden on people that use cryptocurrency in daily transaction. This is a disingenuous uh, argument. A, if you have a, a, a if you really have an administrative burden use us dollars no one forces you to use cryptocurrency and there is no room or there is no justification for the government to uh, support the use of a currency that is alternative to its own currency I mean what's the interest of the government to encourage people to use currency other than the US dollar and they lose control of monetary policy basically? And the other thing is that the administrative burden argument is simply not true. I mean, every basic custodian wallet these days will offer you uh, help with your taxes, calculate every dis uh, gain on every disposition uh, of cryptocurrency for you. No one actually has to do it with pencil and paper. This will come to you at the end of the year from Coinbase or from whatever custodian wallet you're using. And if you're not using custodian uh, wallets, well, then tough luck. The government doesn't need to help you to avoid taxes. As you mentioned, some people in the crypto industry feel that it's a big win meeting a lot of their demands, this bill. Like, what do you think um, is still needed in terms of regulation for the industry? Um, so I, I will say uh, we need to separate two things here. Um, there are legitimate concerns of how to tax certain cryptocurrency transactions or how to tax uh, some blockchain applications which are frequently brought up by tax lawyers that serves the crypto industry so for example if you look at the new york state bar association section of taxation report uh, from a couple of weeks ago a few weeks ago 
it lists several topics that are really important. So if you ask tax professionals, there are areas where clarification is needed. For example, a source of income rules, or for example, uh, whether uh, cryptocurrencies are commodities for dealers and traders mark-to-market purposes, uh, reporting, how to treat wrapped cryptocurrencies, how to treat cryptocurrencies lending transactions. Now, some of these areas actually are addressed in the bill, which came after the, the report. They are real issues. On the other hand, if you look at the industry and what they're pushing for, it's not. these are not these things. They're basically just pushing for tax exemptions. If you look at the New York State Bar Association tax, tax report, there is no big call there for the minimis exemptions or to exempt uh, staking rewards from taxation. Actually, the New York State Bar Association came to the opposite conclusion, saying that staking rewards should be taxable when earned. On the other end, the crypto industry, they don't care about this. Oh, I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, the industry is not homogeneous, right? I mean, there are a lot of different people there. But if you look at what people are, are happy about in this bill, it's mostly things that um, tax lawyers didn't ask for. That was University of California Irvine professor Omri Marion. And before that, you heard Seth Wilkes with the company TaxBit. They both spoke with Bloomberg tax reporter Aaron Slowey. You can find up-to-the-minute news and latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio and Jeff Harrington are our editors. Our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. In a global tax landscape that changes by the day, it's what you don't know that can leave you exposed. At Bloomberg Tax, we provide market-leading intelligence and practical applications to help tax professionals work smarter, faster, and more accurately. Our solutions provide the insights you need for game-changing outcomes. To revolutionize your performance in real time, the difference is Bloomberg Tax. Learn more at pro.bloombergtax.com.